0: Uh, you don't have to say it out loud. But I, a question I'd like us to think about this morning is this and how does somebody become wise? Right? Like like what is necessary, what is necessary for a person to be skillful in living? Because that's that's really what wisdom is. Wisdom is skillful living. So the question I want us to think about is, what do they need to know? What do you need to know? What do I need to know to be wise, to be skillful in living? A uh, Harvard doctoral research student named Andreas Korett, he recently found a curious result from a 2018 study. And you know what he found? He discovered that among the diabetics, eating half a cup of ice cream a day was associated with a lower risk of heart problems. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you heard that correctly. For a diabetic, eating half a cup of ice cream a day led to better health. Now, at first, Korat, this, this research, he, he couldn't believe it. In fact, after consulting with his department chair, he set out to debunk this notion. However, after doing more research, you know what he found. He found it to be true. All of it. (laughs) Commenting on this finding, Corette said, quote, I now laugh every time I think about it. And then he says this. He said, Who would have thought that eating ice cream would lead to better health? I know I wouldn't. (laughs) Would you? I mean, really, consuming ice cream, that really doesn't seem to be the way or the path to better health, does it? But you know what? Praise the Lord it does. (laughs) Amen? This morning, we're going to be studying Psalm 107. As was announced last week, for the month of July, we're going to be looking at several psalms. And much like that report on ice cream, this psalm contains a surprising truth. You see, in this passage, you know what the psalmist does? In a, in a masterful way, the psalmist, he extols and exalts the wondrous perfections of the Lord's steadfast love. And you know what? We don't have to guess as to why the author spills so much ink describing and exalting the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, the psalmist, he makes it very clear in the last verse of the psalm, in that last verse, Psalm 107.43, the psalmist tells us that he talks about the steadfast love of the Lord so that we would deeply ponder and consider it. And why does he want us? Why does he want you? Why does he want the original readers of the psalm? Why does he want us to do that? Why does he want us to ponder and consider the steadfast love of the Lord? It's so that we would be wise. Faith better than ice cream. And I know ice cream is great. You know what leads to skillful, healthy living You know what leads to wisdom? It's knowing and understanding the ways of our God, especially when it comes to his steadfast love. Listen to what the psalmist writes in verse 43. I have it up here on the screen. After after spending over 40 verses talking about how the steadfast love of the Lord works itself out as it interacts with his own people. The psalmist concludes Psalm 107 with this invitation. He writes, Whoever is wise, I mean, whoever wants to be wise, whoever wants to gain wisdom, whoever wants to be skillful in living, he says, Let him attend to these things. What things? the steadfast love of the Lord. He says, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, that study was shocking because people normally don't link ice cream with better health. And I think this text is surprising because I don't think we normally link wisdom with understanding and knowing the love of God. In fact, I think for most people, they believe the path to wisdom is found in life experience or being up to date on the latest self-help book at Barnes & Noble. Yet, friend, I want to suggest to you, based on this passage, wisdom comes from consideration, pondering, meditation, on the Lord's steadfast love. Or we could say it this way. I believe Psalm 107 teaches this truth, and that is, to be wise, consider the Lord's love. To be wise, to be skillful in living, consider, know, really give yourself to knowing the ways of our God and how He expresses His steadfast love. Friend, do you you lack wisdom? Put it this way, do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom in your marriage? Do you need wisdom in your family, in your job? Do, Do you want to be more skillful in how you navigate the challenges and difficulties of life? Friend, then do what the wise do. Give yourself to the study of the Lord's steadfast love. For I'm going to argue, and I think this text masterfully illustrates and makes clear, that when you really do understand the ways of our God, when you really do understand the Lord's steadfast love, it will make you wise. Now, to be sure, Proverbs chapter 1 is still true. That is, the fear of the Lord is the what? beginning of wisdom but what must you do if you want to continue to grow in it i'm going to suggest deep consideration and understanding of the lord's steadfast love so what in particular ought we know and ponder about the lord's love well if you haven't already please turn within your bibles to psalm 105 oh i'm sorry seven (laughs) thank you kim (laughs) psalm 107 see if you guys are paying attention (laughs) That's page 506 in that paperback Bible, and for a moment, I really want you to consider your own life and what kind of struggles or hardships you are experiencing, and if you find yourself, like me, needing wisdom. And if that's the case, let's listen and read this passage carefully. There are several truths about the Lord's love that the psalmist wants us to consider so we will not be all right. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Psalm 107. The author writes this. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And now after this opening, what the psalmist is going to do and the rest of this text, he's going to describe four different groups of people. And as several commentators have correctly pointed out, it is likely that these four accounts describe the activities of members of the tribe of Judah in their exile. And what I want you to do is give careful attention to how the Lord interacts with each group. So look with me at the first group. That's beginning in verse 4. This group, as we're about to read, most likely refers to those banished from the land as a result of the exile. Look at what the psalmist says about him. This is the first group. Some wandered in deserts, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Now the second group. Verse 10. Some sat in darkness in the shadows of death, prisoners in affliction and in iron, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Tell me, why is this second group suffering? What have they done? They've rebelled. Rebelled against who? God. God. Again, very clear, they are suffering because of their own doing. So notice what happens next. Look in verse 12. So he... Who's the he? God. God. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Who brought upon the hard labor? God. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of men. So this group, they're suffering because they had rebelled against God. He delivers them. Now this third group, if you thought the, first, the second group was bad, consider now the third group in verse 17. Let me read this. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed him and delivered them from their destruction. Tell me, what did they need to be healed? What did that last verse say? That's right. What is it? His word. What did God send and heal them? His word that is the remedy to the consequences of their sin, was the word of God. And how should they respond to God sending this word to deliver them? Well, look at what he says there in verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast what? Love. "Love, For his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And now here's the fourth and final group. And this is what we're going to see with this fourth and final group. Like the disciples out at sea with Jesus, we find this fourth group in stormy waters. Look at verse 23. The psalmist writes, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Tell me, who is the he in verse 25? God. And what is he doing in verse 25? He's creating something. What is he creating? He's creating the storm. And notice how great a storm God created. Look at verses 26 and following. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. This storm was so great, they were besides themselves, they were at the end of their rope. And then notice what we see there in verse 30. Sorry, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. The same God who said, rise up to the waves, he said, be still, and they obeyed. Our God is sovereign and in control over every molecule in the cosmos. And then look at what it says there in verse 30. Then they were glad that the waters were hot, were quiet, that he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And now, here in these following verses, verses 33 down to verse 42, the psalmist highlights how our God, listen to this, is the God of reversals. More specifically, how the reversals God accomplishes display His own righteousness. Look at what He says, referring to God. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. To plain his righteousness that he's just and good, verse 36, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield, By his blessing, they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. Okay, psalmist, this is, wow, what a tour de France. We've seen these four different groups and how your steadfast love interacts and how it works to deliver and, and minister to all these three groups. What do you want us to do with this information? How are we to respond? Verse 43, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things the very descriptions he has given about the steadfast love of the Lord. And lest we have any doubt about that, he says it clearly on the last line of the psalm, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. The BBC recently ran a news article Uh, talking about and describing night-moving companies. For those of you who don't know, night-moving companies, and this is real, they're organizations that help people disappear from their own lives without a trace, leaving their homes, jobs, and families in the middle of the night to start a second life, often without looking back. These companies pride themselves in discreetly removing people from their lives and can provide lodging for them and a secret whereabout. And you know what? It's a growing business. From the United States to Germany to the UK, night moving companies are increasing. And it was a fascinating article. And yet, of all the reasons why someone might want to do this, you know what the top reason was? People wanted to vanish in order to escape the consequences. Of their actions. Faith, as I mentioned, there are four groups listed in this psalm. But did you notice what they all have in common? They all have something in common. You know what that is? Each group is suffering. They are suffering. Each group is experiencing affliction of some kind notice the two bookends suffer affliction from circumstance the two middle groups the two middle suffer affliction from their own sinful attitudes and actions to put it this way the first and last groups are in suffering not Of their own making, while the two middle groups are in suffering of their own making. And what I find fascinating is that the solution to all four situations is the exact same. I know what that is? It isn't to hire a night moving company, so you can vanish and evaporate from your life. No, the solution to each and every situation, each and every example of suffering, is to turn to the Lord. It's to cry out to Him. And faith, if you want to be wise, I know I do, and I know you do, then here's what you need to consider first about the steadfast love of the Lord. And this is such good news, friend. Please hear me. What the psalmist wants you to consider first is that the steadfast love of the Lord, it surpasses your sin. Isn't that good news? Look again at verses 10 and 11, and then verses 17 through 20. Verse 10, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, "'prisoners in affliction and irons. "'Why? "'For they had rebelled against the words of God "'and had spurned the counsel of the Most High.'" Verse 17, "'Some were fools through their sinful ways, "'and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. "'They loathed any kind of food, "'and they drew near to the gates of death. "'But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble,' And he delivered them from their distress. Amen. What an incredible display of God's love. Amen. Here were people who were hard-hearted. Here were people who spurned God's counsel. Here were people who were foolish. Indeed, here were people who were suffering because of their foolishness, because of their sin. And I wonder, is that you today? Have you spurned God's counsel? Have you been hard-hearted towards the Lord? Are you suffering the real consequences here on this earth for your sin? Friend, if so, take heart. For you know what these verses exclaim? They they shout that the steadfast love of the Lord is greater than your sin. Your sins they are many, his mercy is what? More. So what should you do if right now you are You are suffering the consequences for your foolishness. You're suffering because of your sin. What should you do? The text makes it clear, friend. Consider, ponder the Lord's steadfast love. Cry out to Him. Turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. The love of the Lord is so great that He can and is willing to deliver even those who have rebelled against him. Now, how is this possible, you might ask? How can God forgive you of your sin? Because remember, for God to be good, for God to be just, he just can't let sin slide. He must punish sin. For God to be good, he must punish sin. So how can he forgive you of your sin? Well, friend, that's precisely why we need His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that this psalm points to is that, friend, please hear me, Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life you failed to live. Then on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the full wrath of God, the punishment you are owed for your sin. Then three days later, He rose from the dead, proving himself to be who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and saving all who would trust in him. Friend, where are you at right now in your, in your relationship with your Creator, your relationship with God? Are you today trusting in your own righteousness, your own morality to hopefully pay off the sin debt you've incurred against God. Friend, if so, I would say stop. Repent of your righteousness. And instead go all in trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ to forgive you. Let's today be the day of salvation for you. Don't continue trying to figure things out on your own. Own your sin and receive by faith the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are Christians, please hear me. God's word assures us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, including our own sin. Amen? But... Our sin does diminish and break the fellowship and intimacy we have with our God. This is why 1 John 1:9 calls us to confess our sins to God to receive his forgiveness and cleansing. Listen, you know who are wise people? You know who are wise people? Those who don't conceal their sin, cover it up, make excuses, justify it, or hire a night-moving company so they can escape the consequences of their sin. Those, those, are, those are fools who do that. No, the wise people are those who understand, yes, I have sinned, but the steadfast love of the Lord surpasses my sin. So I'm going to turn to God, not keep running from Him. I'm going to cry out to Him in my distress and receive the forgiveness He gives. This is the first truth the psalmist wants us to consider. Consider how his love surpasses your sin. But then second, consider how his love sanctifies you through suffering. Look at verses 12 and 23 through 25. So here in at verse 12, it's the second group. They're suffering because of Their sin and makes it clear there in verse 12. So he, God, bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. God brings this hard labor upon them. Now look at verses 23 through 25. The fourth group some went down to the sea in ships and were doing business on great waters, for they saw the deeds of the Lord for his wondrous works in the deep. If you're the underlying type, Underline that phrase, wondrous works in the deep. For notice verse 25, for he commanded and raised up the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Now go down to at the end, as he describes this verse, this group, verse 31. He says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his what? Wondrous. Wondrous works. Where have we seen that phrase before? And verse 25, for the wondrous works to the children of man. The steadfast love of the Lord sanctifies you through suffering. Uh, How many of you have been to the Golden Gate Bridge? Oh, quite a few, okay. I just learned something about the Golden Gate Bridge I never knew before. You know what that is? I learned that the Golden Gate Bridge is always being painted. Did you know this? The Golden Gate Bridge, it is always being painted. Due to its length, there are always working on it. So so get this. There is never a time when the Golden Gate Bridge is not being worked on and improved. Christian, so it is with God and your sanctification, your growth in holiness. Please hear me. God is never not at work growing you to be more like His Son Christ. You know this. And the brush God most frequently uses to conform His children into Christ is the stroke of affliction. Tell me, Who is causing the affliction in these verses? Who is bringing up the waves? It's the Lord. Indeed, notice once more what the psalmist writes there in verse 31. He calls us to thank the Lord for his wondrous deeds. What are those wondrous deeds? Look at verse 24. It's the sending of the storm. Same phrase. God sending the storm is something we are to get this. Hear me, thank Him for. And why is God sending the storm? So you can cry out to Him. So you can depend on Him. He's using this to make you more like Jesus. We, we, I love what we sing in the opening song. Christ, our hope in life and death. Did you catch that one phrase? He says. Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? That's God. He sends the waves to bring us nigh to the shore, not of ourselves, not of man's wisdom, but to Christ. And man, this this truth is all over Scripture. Consider what David writes in Psalm 119. He writes, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord. According to your word, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Okay, how did he treat you well, David? The next line, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Let's say the last phrase, You are good and do good. Do you believe that? You see, listen, wise Christians, those who are skillful in living, wise Christians understand that the hardships and afflictions they're going through are from the loving hand of God. They understand that they are part of the steadfast love of the Lord. Wise Christians are the one who sing with joy, whatever my God ordains is right. And that knowledge allows them, knowing that this is from the hand of God, that knowledge allows them to respond to the hardships and trials they experience, not in sin, but in God-honoring ways. On the flip side, immature Christians don't understand this. They do not see, or rather they refuse to see, how God uses and even raises up suffering for their good to be more like Christ. You know what they want? They just want relief. They don't want redemption. And as a result, they often get bitter and respond to God in dishonoring ways. So let's just, let's just drill down here for a moment. Christian, what, ex- what affliction are you experiencing right now? Physical ailment? A strained relationship, a difficult boss, a hard marriage, a financial burden. Please hear me. Whatever your affliction might be, your great God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who knows all and all the ramifications and effects of sin on the human condition, this God is not silent about the purpose of your suffering. It's to sanctify you. It's to make you more like Jesus. And the wise Christian sees those waves in that way. Which leads to another aspect of the Lord's love that the psalmist wants us to consider, and that is His love satisfies your greatest need. Look at verses 4 through 6. Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Go down to verse 9. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Tell me, what do you think is the greatest distress in these verses? Because notice the text says God delivered them from their distress. But what truly was their distress? Because again, friend, notice what the psalmist writes there in verses eight and nine. He wants them to thank the Lord for a steadfast love and. And what does the psalmist say God satisfies in verse 9? Does it say God satisfies the hungry stomach? Does it say God satisfies the longing appetite? No, it says God satisfies the longing what? Soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Good things he fills the soul with. Listen, is God concerned that their stomachs be fed? Yes, and we praise him for that. But you know what God's greater concern is? The condition of their soul. He would not want their bellies full of food, but their soul deprived of good things, the greatest being himself. He wants them to be satisfied in him. God wants them and us to see that God is our greatest good and treasure, so that if we have him, even with gurgly stomachs, we're satisfied. I mean, think of Paul in Philippians 3:8. Here was a man who suffered a great deal. Here is a man who experienced a lot of distress. Yet what does he consider to be his greatest need? I'm going to suggest, Paul doesn't doesn't say that his greatest need is relief from suffering. But his greatest need, as he sees it, is a greater capacity to enjoy Jesus. So that his soul, verse 10, would be filled with good things. The good things of the Lord. Listen to what he writes. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain what? Better health? A better lifestyle so the cars and the food I want to drive? A better relationship with my kids? A better relationship with my parents? So that making what? Christ. Friend, what do you, this is, and I'm not, I I don't want you to give me the immediate Sunday school answer, okay? But I want you to ask yourself this question, what do you think is your greatest need? What do you think you need the most right now in life? Is it relief? Is it better circumstances? Or all oh, that I would com- that my soul would be filled more and more with good things from you, God? that my capacity to enjoy you and to be satisfied in you now? would be full so I could look forward to the celestial city where I can feast on your love forever. Wise Christians know and believe that their greatest need is a greater capacity to enjoy Christ. So that if they have Christ, even in the face of disappointment, even in the face of loss, even in the face of hardship, they have everything But then lastly, consider how his love summons gratitude. I hope you've connected these dots. (laughs) But notice, I'm just going to go through. Look at these verses. Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for their wondrous works to the children of man, verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, thirty-one through thirty-two. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Reflecting on this should make us shout with gratitude to our God. Uh, researchers at ETH Zurich have recently developed a device called Myoshirt. You know what Myoshirt is? They describe it as this. It's, get a little this, it's wearable muscles. Myo shirt is a soft wearable exoskeleton for the arms and shoulders. They describe it as a vest with cuffs for the upper arms, and listen to this. Originally designed for patients with muscular dystrophy, this shirt when you put it on can greatly increase a person's upper body strength. How about that? Wearable muscles. Something you can put on to make you strong. Faith, you know what makes the Christian strong? Gratitude. As we discussed before when we were studying the book of Ephesians, gratitude truly is the antidote to every sin. Giving thanks, we could say, is the wearable muscles of the Christian life. And notice, considering the Lord's love should move us to do exactly that. I mean, that's the psalmist's conviction. But he says it no less than five or six times throughout the psalm. So Christian, when was the last time you gave thanks to the Lord? For the waves that bring you to the shore of Christ, for His blessings, for the hardships... Is, is, you know, remember when we talked about how, how the book of Ephesians ended? We're to view all of life as what? A gift of God's grace. Christian, you want to be wise, you want to be skillful in living, then consider the steadfast love of the Lord. B- give yourself to seeing how he interacts with his own people in love. For far better than ice cream. Though ice cream is good, and we thank God for that. Truly, far better than ice cream, considering the steadfast love of the Lord, will lead to a healthy, wise life. Amen? Let's pray.